Thank you for the download, subscription, stream of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. However you're listening, I'm glad you are. And I'm glad that you want to help this podcast. How do you help the podcast? Well, you could be going to our live shows, but let's say they're not in your town. Let's say you don't have the cash for it. What can you do for free? Well, you can go to iTunes. You can make sure you're subscribed if you're not already. And you can leave a five-star review and a rating for this podcast. It helps every single time you do it. Believe me. Also... If you're doing your shopping, Amazon, great place to get stuff, right? Bookmark the new Amazon, notsam.com slash Amazon. It's the same website, takes you to the same place, but it's a referral link and a little bit of your purchase. Same prices on everything will go to supporting Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast and making this all possible. So please go to your bookmarks right now. Instead of Amazon, bookmark notsam.com slash Amazon. And you can support the podcast every time you shop. Speaking of the podcast, let's get on with it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh my God. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. What a busy, busy week I've got. Whew, I'm right in the middle of it, too. It's uh, uh, almost midnight at the time that I'm recording this. I'm, I'm going to basically record this, and I'm going to publish it immediately because it's the only time I have time to do anything. You know, part of what I like to do, we know why I do this wrestling podcast by now, right? It's because I'm a wrestling fan. I like to talk about wrestling. I like to be a wrestling fan, and I like to talk about it with you guys. I like that we can uh, we can have that dialogue, and that's why when I have the opportunity... I like to organize cool, cool stuff. Now, you're already too late. The very first time that Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast has been live in full has already happened. Yes, it happened uh, uh, tonight, last night by the time you're listening to this at the Highline Ballroom. Uh, It was a great, great show. As I announced, Dan Soder was there. I said there's going to be Dan Soder and there's going to be surprise guests. We had Dan Soder. We had Skylar Aston from the film Pitch Perfect. You remember him from the podcast, Giant Fan. We had Katie Linendahl jumping on for a State of Wrestling segment. And we had the world's strongest man, Mark Henry, all show up at the Highline Ballroom to be a part of this live show. If you weren't there, you missed a movie. You missed an amazing show. Be there at the next one. Uh, again, so many things going on this week. Summer Sam 3 happens the day this podcast gets released. Today, if you're listening to this on time, Thursday, if you're not, SummerSlam 3 uh, is going to or went down. That's the big show that we do every year, SummerSlam week at Caroline's. Uh, this year, we've got Sasha Banks and Seth Rollins. That's going to air on Sirius XM Saturday at 2 p.m. on uh, Sirius XM 103. Eventually, those interviews will make their way to the podcast as well. Uh, furthermore, this Saturday... I will be doing the pre-show for NXT, the kickoff show. I believe it's just a pre-show for NXT, the panel. I can't wait to get on this panel. It's going to be the amazing and wonderful Charlie. uh, Of course, the incomparable Corey Graves. Lita, the the, the legendary Lita, and myself. The four of us on this panel. I can't wait. NXT TakeOver 3 Brooklyn. And then I am also scheduled to be a part of the SummerSlam kickoff show. Uh, I'll probably be doing something similar to what I was doing at WrestleMania, being out and about in the crowd. And, I, you know, I keep saying I can't wait, but I really, really can't wait. 
It's going to be an amazing, amazing, busy weekend. And my original plan was to take the audio of the live show we did at the Highline Ballroom and release it right away. Put it out, you know, a couple of hours after it happened. Make it this week's podcast. Until I got a text. My friend, my fellow podcaster, uh, Bruce Pritchard, an amazing storyteller, Bruce Pritchard, texted me and said, Sam, I'd love to jump on your podcast this week if you'll have me. And I text him back. It's always a yes with you, Bruce. So what do you get from me this week, huh? I like to give. Like, this is why I do all these live shows. This is why I do all this stuff. I like, because I've got a little bit of ability to get some things done, I like to put on cool shows. Like, that's why I do the free shows at Caroline's Comedy Club every year. Nobody makes any money off of it. Caroline's doesn't get paid. WWE doesn't get paid. You don't have to pay. I don't get paid. Like, it's just a show. And the reason I do it every year is because I think it would be cool to go to an event like this. And if nobody's doing it, I'm going to do it myself. I think it would be cool if my favorite wrestling podcast did it live uh, to, to hype up SummerSlam. So nobody's do- so I'm going to go to Heinlein. I'm going to do it myself. You know, lots of stuff. So I'm going to keep giving you content. And I'm going to give you content. Let's say you're not in New York. You're still going to get extra content because I said yes to Bruce Pritchard. I said, it's, of course you can. I'm going to have you on this week. I am also going to release the SummerSlam uh, uh, hype show, the show that we did at the Highline Ballroom. The audio of that show will be out this week. On Friday, you will get a full bonus podcast, an entire show complete with State of Wrestling, and it's going to be the Highline Ballroom show uh, involving everybody that I said and really uh, quite a newsworthy appearance from Mark Henry. So that's going to be coming out on Friday of this week. Today's show, it's all about Bruce Pritchard and everything Bruce Pritchard's got going on and just some questions I've always been curious about for him. Tomorrow, Friday, that's going to be the Get Ready for SummerSlam show. That's going to be the Highline Ballroom show. Two podcasts this week, uh, and I'm happy to do it. I'm really happy to do it, and I'm happy that you're all a part of it. So... Let's stop dilly-dallying, and let's get into this week's interview. Bruce Pritchard is my guest, and here he is. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Well, it's SummerSlam week. There's a lot of live events going on in New York. Everybody knows that I've got a busy week, but another guy that's got a busy week is is my friend, uh, and probably at this point, the top wrestling podcaster in the world. Uh, look who's back on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, Bruce Pritchard. Welcome back, Bruce. It is always a pleasure to be back on Sam Roberts Podcast, by God. Well, I feel like we're now uh, we're competing to see who can get the most uh, name mentions on Bring It to the Table. Because for a while, it was JBL dropping my name, and he did it again last episode, but then... You know, you not only got a bunch of name drops, but the photo, too. I see. I get pictures. I get stories. (laughs) I get name drops. I get the whole nine yards. I just get the entire ball of wax because, after all, I I am. I I got plugs from everybody this last time. Yeah. Well, is it weird? Because uh, I know in the beginning when you were starting the podcast, because you know how early on I was a a, a listener to it, but you guys would talk about it in a way that sounded like the WWE was not necessarily keen on the thing existing. 
And and I feel like we've gotten to a point with your show where it's become so popular and and has developed such a name not only with an audience but within the industry that it seems like it might not be such a terrible thing in WWE's eyes or am I am I off? Well, I have no idea since I'm not there, but I definitely do appreciate the shout outs and uh, I'm happy that they're at least saying kind things about me and not just bashing me over the head. Uh, very much appreciated. So that's that, that's always a good thing. Is this is this like a, you know, cuz at your at the height of your uh, 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 of your wrestling involvement, you were on a team, right? It was you and it was Vince and it was Pat Patterson and then you know, towards the end when it wasn't so good, it was it was you kind of finding a spot on this team that uh, maybe didn't quite have a spot for you anymore. And and but you've never, aside from maybe Brother Love, which again was happening in conjunction with you being part of this team in WWE, you've never had something like this podcast where it's all you. You know, it's you and Conrad, but it's you guys, and you're doing it outside of any other major organization and the attention that it's gotten is all due to you and conrad that that has to feel good at this point it does feel good because as you say it's it's us and we're on our own we're kind of out off on an island all by ourselves and what we do is unique in comparison to what everybody else does um it's just it's, it's a lot of fun, but yeah, it's the first time that I can sit back and say, hey, yes, this is mine, and I've got create. You know what? I've got creative control in my contract on the podcast deal. <laughs> yeah. So for all those people that don't say I don't talk, you know, uh, specific contract terms, in my podcast contract, I have creative control by God. I mean, that's, so it's good. That's I was having a conversation with a couple people this weekend about podcasting, and I, I think that that's what – uh, I don't know if it gets lost on listeners or if they're aware of it, is that aside from the people who are actually doing it, the, the people who are hosting shows and the few organizations, you know, the mid-rolls of the world, but there's only a, a small handful of them, I feel like we are allowed as podcasters to kind of do whatever we see fit because we're almost making up the business model as we go. I don't think I think that everybody's just kind of – figuring it all out at the same time and it's an amazing thing to be a part of at this stage in the game well you know what's cool is they're they're going to have the podcast academy awards let's see academy of podcasting awards in uh anaheim at the end of the month uh here in august and conrad and i are going to both go out there for we're nominated for (laughs) sports podcast of the year now when I received this information, it, first of all, I thought that somebody had photoshopped something up and sent it to me as, as kind of a lark. And I, I'm looking at it, and, and I'm seeing everybody on here is, is ESPN, sports guys, real, real sports guys. Yeah. And then there's me. <laughs> and I just had to laugh going – is this real? And then I found out it was real. And how cool is that to be doing a podcast at the time for less than a year and to be nominated for podcast of the year in a genre, which I'm not sure that we really fit in. I think we're a lot more entertainment. And uh, if there was a, a 
just a category for fun, I think that's where we would be. That's at least where I want to be. So to be nominated for this, we're going to go out there and I'm going to go ahead and accept it right now. I'm going to go ahead and call it. I'm going to win it. <laughs> and and if I don't, then I got screwed by the officials. And, you know, that's – by the way, you know, in terms of categories, I feel like at this point there's so many wrestling podcasts just – just put together a sports entertainment category. I mean, why not at this point? But that's the beauty of podcasts, right? That there are a lot of people in radio that kind of put down podcasters because podcasts have, have enabled people to pick up a microphone, get a recorder, whatever. You know, I mean, it can be as bare bones as you want it to be and go out there and go ahead and just try to find an audience. And... It kind of, I think the reason people in radio put down podcasters in general is because it scares them. Because, you know, in, in radio, it's it's people who, who came up through market to market or kissed the right asses of the right bosses or somebody put them or us, I'm in radio, in the spots that we're in. The reason why I started podcasting as well, because it was clear to me that it wasn't a scenario where, okay, let's fight this thing and, and prove that podcasters are less than us radio guys. It's, no, podcasts have opened it up so that a guy like Bruce Pritchard, who has, you know, no experience doing this, can pick up a microphone, and if he's a good storyteller, and if he's got information that people care about, and if he can put together an entertaining show, he's now got the ability to find an audience. And I think that that's, that's kind of opened it up to a lot of people, and uh, it's a good thing. It is a good thing, and it allows – when we started it, it was funny because Conrad and I looked at each other, and I said to him, I said, who the hell wants to listen to me talk? <laughs> and he said, just tell your stories. He goes, trust me, there's an audience for it out there. I didn't really know what that audience was. I had zero clue, and the – just – I'm humbled. I really and truly am humbled that as many people download us and listen to us every single week and then go out and tweet us and tell us they enjoy the show. Man, that's a kick in the ass. That's pretty damn cool when you go from basically obscurity to being downloaded by damn near a million people every single week. That's pretty cool in my book. So it's enabled us to go out there and it's enabled me to get my name back out in there and, and to get Bruce's name out there, not just brother love and, and my alter ego, but to be able to get my name out there and get some recognition is pretty damn neat. Yeah. Did you ever think that Bruce Pritchard would become a bigger name in uh, wrestling in terms of the audience than brother love? No, I didn't, but I like it. Yeah. It's better. <laughs> Works better for you. That way you don't have to paint your face red when you're doing these meet and greets, right? Exactly. It doesn't take me nearly the time to get all the makeup off of my face after a show. <laughs> well, let me ask you some uh, some wrestling questions because that's 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 become your your shtick. And I mean, I, I think that I, part of what makes you kind of a one of a kind is that there's very few people that have had the kind of access that you've had for as long as you had it. Um, and that's why, like, you know, you just hit on these these wide ranging topics when we're at, we're at SummerSlam season though right when 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 this time of year comes around now that you've been removed from you know the bubble for whatever it's been nine years or so what what comes into your mind when SummerSlam season approaches 
Well, SummerSlam season is essentially the the summer WrestleMania. It was when it first started out. SummerSlam was basically well. Let's let's try this. Let's, kind of as a back to school end of summer event, and let's see how it does. And it became the second biggest show of the year. So we built to that, and we were able to capitalize on that. It it did well. We you know the first one was in Madison Square Garden. That was my very first time that I ever appeared on live television. And it was at a pay-per-view in Madison Square Garden um, for SummerSlam. So it was all of these things on. It was live TV. It was live pay-per-view. And it's Madison Square Garden. So Vince completely psyched me out before I went out there. And I actually tripped and fell on the <laughs> way to the ring. I didn't fall all the way, but I did trip, and, and I damn near did eat it. How did he psych you out? Oh, God. He just got in my head right before we went out and sat there and had me staring out at the crowd and letting me know, every one of them's in the palm of your hand, pal. <laughs> you own them. And I'm just looking because I hadn't gotten over the fact that I was in Madison Square Garden performing. Right. So now it's I'm, 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 I'm getting beyond that. I'm trying to get beyond that in my head. And now he's putting in my head that, you know, on top of that, you're live. And, you know, of course, in typical Gorilla Monsoon fashion, fashion, how many people are watching Gino? I don't know, about five, six million people at least. Oh, my God. <laughs> so for a 25-year-old kid, that was that was some heavy stuff. Now, is that something that Vince would do regularly, or, or would it be for special performers having special moments at special shows, doing those those pep talks right before you go out? Well, Vince does it for, I, I think he does it for everybody as far as when there's a special moment and there's there's someone that is either really nervous or apprehensive. It's his way of, I think it's his way of trying to relax you and get you into the moment. Um, in reality, it, it just... It, it can psych you the hell out, and I always, I always appreciated that part of it. I always appreciated him getting me pumped up and being able to. I learned years later how to turn it into a positive, and be able to get into character long before I walked out uh, into the arena. So that part, I, I just learned how to use it and make it my own. What's the what's the letdown like after that? Okay, so you have you, you almost stumble out there, but you get out there and then you make it work, and and it actually is a, a segment that goes off well, and you are a part of this of this you know massive massive show at Madison Square Garden and everything. Is there are there more words when you come back uh, uh, back into gorilla position and like mentally, how do you bring yourself down from that spot that you were just in? Well, for me, because I, I had other duties, I, I had to, on top of going out and performing in my first ever pay-per-view event in Madison Square Garden, I was also responsible for producing the show itself. <laughs> so when I come back, there's no time for, hey, good job, and what did we do right, what did we do wrong? It's what's the next match, where are we in the show, and you know what's left to go. 
So, so I've still got I've still got to do my other duties with a bunch of red red paint all over my face. That's what I was going to ask you. So are you producing the rest of the show in the Brother Love outfit? Exactly. That's incredible. So so if anybody like let's say a fan sneaks back into gorilla position or whatever during the first SummerSlam, they're looking at Brother Love producing the show with the, with the headset on. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Still talk, still talk, yeah, still talking with a funny accent, but at the same time with with a headset on. Yes, right, right. That's incredible. So that's really then when when you kind of reflect on SummerSlam at this time of year, you think of your first moment as a performer. I do, yes, because it was it was a very special that that first moment. There were so many firsts for me in that one night from SummerSlam the pay-per-view live television and the garden because the garden was the garden right and you know until you're there and and you've done it there's just no nothing that compares did uh, how helpful is it when you're producing talent how helpful is it to have performed on that level well i think that it helps helps talent to appreciate what you're telling them a little bit more when you actually been there and you've done it, it's. I think that they can can take it and look at it like, all right. Um, at least at least he's been there, and it's not someone that that has never been there telling me what to do and or how to do it. So it's not necessarily about changing your perspective. It's about changing the perspective other people have on you. That okay, he can do it. He knows what it's like. The advice is coming from someplace. And, and especially in those days, at that time, it, it could be difficult to get talent to listen to anything that you have to say or any ideas that you have because a lot of them are looking at you like, who the hell are you? What have you done? Right. So the fact that I, I was out there and I was performing helped me a lot from the standpoint of guys would say, okay, well, you know what? He's one of us. So that helped me tremendously. Do you have a favorite – Aside from you know your moments as a performer, do you have a favorite in terms of producing a show? SummerSlam that that you were a part of behind the scenes. Wow, um, you know a lot of people who I talk to, and that's you know a lot of people go back to SummerSlam '91, and I don't know if that's just because we're all around the same age. So SummerSlam 91 hit us right at that sweet spot when we were all kids, and it was all like we were kind of figuring out what it was, but it still had this element of realness to it, and it was still just everything working. I don't know if it's a generational thing or if if 91 stands out as much as uh, my peer group thinks that it does. Well, I was I had been fired at that time and so I was on the I was on the outs looking in and it was one of the in my opinion I still think it was one of the best summer slams they ever had. I think the other one a lot of people point to which I wasn't there for that one either was Wembley. Yeah. For me, I think the build up and some of the most fun getting to it there were really two. It was Undertaker versus Undertaker in Chicago at uh, the United Center, first time in the United Center. That one was a lot of fun to prepare for, getting to deal with Leslie Nielsen and and all the different machinations of the Undertaker versus Undertaker match. And the other one, just for different reasons, 
was uh, Lex and Yokozuna, you know, with the Lex Express, that whole summer of telling that story and getting to that SummerSlam as well. Those so, were big events. And I, I would I would agree with that because those also fit in, obviously, in the timeline. I'm a kid as I'm watching those. And I think we talked about, last time we talked, I think we talked about the Undertaker versus Undertaker buildup and everything. Like, in my, I haven't gone back to watch it, but in my mind's eye, like, it was all brilliant. And in hindsight, people are saying it's anything but, but because I'm a kid watching it, I felt like the whole thing was amazing. And the Lex Express, same thing. I didn't understand as a kid that there was a schedule that this bus was on and that you had to go to autograph signings and da-da-da. I spent the entire summer in the backseat of my parents' car. I'm 10 years old, just looking out the window every time we drove anywhere, hoping that 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 red, white, and blue bus would be somewhere. But uh, did you want to... No, I, the funny thing to me is is that was exactly what we were looking for. That's funny. <laughs> we were looking for people that wanted to see the Lex Express, and we were looking for opportunities like that for that bus to pull over and, and have a moment. Right, where it wasn't a scheduled stop. It was just like, yeah, the bus is here now. Exactly, and to have people come out and, and go, oh my God, I got to see Lex Luger, and now I want to see you win the championship at SummerSlam. You got to go and beat that damn Yokozuna. The issue became trying to get Lex to want to do anything other than what he definitely had to do right. beyond, you know, be, beyond the ske- the scheduled stops, the spontaneous stuff. It was. Uh, I want to go to the gym. I want to go, you know, and just got to be uh, challenging at best. Right. So it became this thing where, like, the original agreement contracted thing that I have to do is this. That's what I'm doing. And nothing to sort of, yeah, but if we do more, it's going to make it mean more. And the whole thing is just, it's just going to benefit everybody. And it would have been so much cooler to be able to. I still look back on on situations like that, and you think of what could have been. Good God, especially if we had had Twitter and Facebook and and FaceTime and all those different things that they have now with a vehicle like the Lex Express. To be able to go out and spontaneously just drop in and put a tweet out and say, hey, the Lex Express is in Baltimore right now at this location. Yeah. The, the buzz that we could have had and the just that's what we were looking for and that's what we were trying to accomplish but it it just it was difficult it, it was it was difficult because you had uh, had to deal with everything else right right I mean yeah just the idea of you know we don't have Twitter but let's say we're on the highway and there's the bus. Mom, Dad, follow the bus. Let's see where the bus is going. Let's follow them to the next stop or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And then you get and then you get there and the kids get out and the kids get pictures with Lex and you yeah. get to talk to him, get some autographs and you get a coupon, by the way, which was the other thing that we were doing, a coupon to save money on the pay-per-view and just bringing awareness to the pay-per-view coming up. So it, it was a it was a multi-level, multi-fold promotion that the planning stages of it were great. The idea behind it was great. When we did the undertaker with his, uh, traveling, uh, hearse, mm-hmm. which was Andre's modified, modified van going around. 
that worked great because Taker enjoyed traveling in it. <laughs> right. And right. Taker would act Taker would actually get out and talk to the people and he would he would go out and he would sign autographs and and he would <laughs> he would do things. Is it tough to get guys to do stuff like that cuz I feel like beyond that sort of time frame of about a year or so it was all about you know outside the box marketing opportunities and then all that kind of disappeared you never saw like a a macho man van or 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 whatever bret hart riding around in a pink limousine or or it seems like like just because of the character development that went into guys especially back then there would be you know, Diesel driving around in a truck. There'd be just opportunity after opportunity to do stuff like that, but you didn't see it. Yeah, there were two schools of thought to it, and there were guys that felt, and myself included at times, that the talent should be special and you shouldn't be able to just go out and touch them and, and be around them at any given time. But there was also the school of thought that was... If you get out and you mingle with people and you get to meet people and it gives your audience something to talk about and really get excited about, that's invaluable because that's better press than really anything else mm -hmm. because you, you get an opportunity to, to be with your audience. For us as writers, as promoters, producers um, – I enjoyed it because you got to hear honest opinions about what people thought of your product. Right. And Pat Patterson and I used to go and sit out in the crowd and we would just listen to the audience to see, okay, what are they buying? What aren't they buying? And you would go out, we would walk the, uh, the lobby and go watch and see what, what they were buying at the concession stand. What were they asking for at the merchandise stand? Um, what what did they like? What didn't they like? And when you sit in the audience and people don't know who the hell you are, and you start talking about what you know, what do you have in common with them right then? You're all at a wrestling event. You're all there to watch this. Who's your favorite? If they don't know that they're on and they don't know who they're talking to, they're going to be extremely honest and tell you that, well, you know, by God, I like this guy. I don't like that guy. And the answers can be surprising sometimes because you're out there pushing somebody and you're talking to a little kid who you think is going to love Lex Luger because that's who you're pushing. And he sits there and says, God, you know, he sucks. I like The Undertaker. <laughs> right. Right. And you go, okay, I, I, maybe it's time to shift directions. Right. So, like, yeah. So, like, you talk about that buildup, though, and how great it was, and I agree with that. I mean, it was such – as a kid – it was just a fun summer. But even as a kid, I distinctly remember, even as uh, being 10 years, not even nine years old, I wasn't 10 yet, and I remember watching that show, and I remember at the end of the show thinking to myself, okay, he didn't win the title. He signed a contract that said he wasn't going to get another title shot. I get that he won, but why are there balloons? Why is he celebrating you know, he'll, he's never going to get to be champion now. So did that thought come up? Like, we've spent so long building this, and it's it's it, like the it's not just been about the bus. It's also about the fact that this is Lex's moment, and he's only getting one opportunity. That was a big part of it going in. And we're going to have him 
celebrate a, a, a not winning the title to this to this extent. But he won the match. He did, but he wanted the championship, right? Most people would. <laughs> Maybe Lex didn't okay. need it. <laughs> okay. You listened to my show before. It, it comes down to the simple analogy of Hogan must pose. That's what I thought you were going to say. And and as crazy as that sounds, that's what that's what it is, and that's what it always will be. Because if they leave quote happy, then that's all that matters. So why couldn't they have put the title on Lex for? Because obviously you guys didn't want didn't see Lex as the champion. You're like, you know what? We tried something here, and this is not going to work out. Which is fine. That happens. You know, you think you've got something, and then. Maybe you don't have something, and that that's that's cool. But if you're gonna have that moment anyway, and I know this is, you know, whatever it is, 25 years later, we're trying to figure this out. But if you're gonna have that moment anyway, why not put the title on him and then figure something out before you know Survivor Series that that takes it off him? So you at least have a moment where he's celebrating. And he's the champion, even though long-term this isn't what you're doing. Probably because Vince would have felt that it would have sent a wrong message to the talent and everyone else. How, that, how, yeah. That, you know, Lex was being rewarded for something that he he never should have gotten. And at the huh. time, the championship and those at war, that really did mean something. It meant something to Vince. It meant something to the talent that had that opportunity. And they just, uh, he didn't want to do it. That's just the, did not want to do it. That's a great perspective, though, that I think doesn't get brought up much. When you see something that you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. The idea that that Vince McMahon would have in his mind that this sends a bad message to the locker room. Like that. That makes sense to me. Like, like you wouldn't like that's that's a that could be a morale killer to see somebody that that all of them maybe us audience don't know what the deal is, but if the entire locker room is looking at this guy like no way, and then he, he gets it even for a day, it's like they've all been fighting for this moment to watch a guy that doesn't necessarily deserve it get the moment is gonna. It could it, it could kill it for him. It could make it so that why do, if that if they're just giving the moment away to people for no reason, maybe I don't want this thing anymore. Right, and it also I think that the audience, whether or not they they truly get it, um, I do believe that there is a feeling and an understanding from the audience that probably felt, you know what, not really sure he deserved it. Right. And, may, and maybe not, but I, I do think that a lot of times when I, I listen to people and they will ask a question like that, the, you can answer the question yourself by just saying, you know, I know he didn't really deserve it. I know he wasn't that good, but why not do it? Just by saying he wasn't that good, you're saying, you know what? He didn't deserve it. When 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 you hear when when people address like these these incidents that all have you know a hundred conspiracy theories around them and here's why I think and here's what you should have done and blah blah blah, does it boggle your mind at how often 
the answer is the most basic, obvious thing, and everybody just kind of looks past it? Yeah, and it, the other thing that you have to keep in mind, too, is so many times that the answer is Vince didn't want that that day. Right. <laughs> so no, ma- no matter how clear anything else can be, you know what? The boss didn't see it. Right. So we didn't do it. Well, speaking of, of, of seeing things, when you go back, it, it's really an interesting thing to go back uh, – in Summer Slims and see things like, for instance, the uh, the Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon ladder match rematch, and it's like when you look at that match in a, in a vacuum, when you look at that match alone, you see the uh, the, the the seeds of what wrestling is going to start to look like going forward. You see, you know what in ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, what's gonna what this is going to turn into, what this is evolving into. But it's really interesting because the rest of the show doesn't really look like that match. And going forward, most matches don't look like that match. So it's not until you look at it in hindsight that you see it as as this evolutionary step. When you saw a match, it could be the WrestleMania 10 ladder match uh, or this, this SummerSlam match. When you saw these ladder matches, did you think to yourself, this is the direction we need to go in? Or was it still like, no, we're, we're still doing the kind of uh, uh, co- superhero come to life thing. And this is just a sideshow, uh, you know, over here. It was a little bit of both. You have to also remember the the caliber of talent that, was in that match in Shawn Michaels and Scott Hall, mm-hmm. two of the best. You could put Shawn Michaels as chief J Strongbow used to say, you could hold that match in an iron lung. Nobody knows what the hell that means exactly. <laughs> except, <laughs> except that we thought, okay, well, um, interesting. Uh, and then you leave it at that. But Shawn Michaels could have a match with anybody, anytime, pretty much doing anything and would pull it off and people would come out saying whatever they want to about the entire event and they'd say, Shawn Michaels, good God, I'll never forget that match. So watching it and and knowing that part of it and feeling, good God, man, you know, it's hard to touch Shawn. A lot of guys wished that they could do what Sean could do with a regular match, just bell to bell. Mm-hmm. Now, you throw, as you say, you throw that ladder in there, and now all bets are off, but it enabled guys that may not have been as talented bell to bell to be able to use the crutch of a ladder and go out and have some pretty incredible matches and make a name for themselves in other ways. So Sean opened the door that way. I think that people just forget a lot of times how good Shawn Michaels really is. Do you think there's also do, do you think there's also because uh, you know and and I think that's probably one of the reasons why it's Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon and you know, I don't think it was televised, but Bret Hart are the three guys that you talk about being the first involved in ladder matches in WWF. Do you think it needed to also take a couple of years for maybe some younger guys to watch those matches and be able to mimic some of the stuff that was happening in those matches in order for it to 
come full circle that maybe it took a Shawn Michaels, a Scott Hall, a Bret Hart to go out there with the ladders because it hadn't been done before? It did. The ladder match was Bret Hart's idea. Right. And it was it was Bret's creation. It was Bret's idea. And Shawn took the platform and, and made it his own, uh, which is probably helps with their rivalry a little bit. You know, Sean didn't steal it. It was a gimmick that we used from a Bret Hart idea, and, and we used it, and it happened to be in matches with Sean, and Sean was so damn good in them that you know he got that platform. But, yeah, I think that, that guys, after a while, realize there's so many more things that we can do here. Right. And let's, incor- let's incorporate it. And then came the tables and ladders and chairs. And I hate all those matches. I hate them from the, the danger aspect. I hate the punishment that the guys put their bodies through when they're out there and they, they have those type of matches because the margin for error gets smaller and smaller every every single time that they have one with guys trying to one-up what somebody did last time. Um, speaking of, this is just a, a question that I've had on my mind for lately. So speaking of... Uh, stipulation matches and things like that. I uh, I have Onita, at Sushi Onita on the brain because I went and saw him uh, in in Voorhees, New Jersey a couple of weeks ago do an explosion deathmatch thing. But I was a tape trader, you know, in high school, so I became super familiar with this guy. But I had only read recently that there was a rumor, and I don't I don't know who reported it. I, I, I wasn't a dirt sheet kid growing up because I was a kid, but... Uh, I had read recently that there were rumors about Onita coming to WWF for one of the Royal Rumbles. I think it might have been 94, might have been 95. Uh, Was this ever a consideration? Was it ever something that you guys tried to get done, bringing Onita in? We talked about it, but that was just talk about who could we bring in from the outside. Are there any international talent outside that we could bring in that are going to give an international flair for the Royal Rumble. We always like to look at outside talent who might be good. Um, I, I always love it when people talk about, oh, they were going to bring Onita in and do an explosion match, and then we did this and we did that. We talked about doing an explosion match. It was brought up. But it never got past the, hey, what if we did an explosion match? When, when, like, what time frame was the conversation? Mm, probably after, I'd say, 96-ish, maybe 95, 96, mm-hmm. in that time frame. Because I'd gone over and seen, um, I saw one. I went to Japan with Ken Shamrock and Vader. They had a match over for Onita's promotion. And it was the first time that I saw one. I had no idea what to expect. So being there and seeing it, it was intriguing, but I I don't know what they did in New Jersey, but was it at an outdoor stadium type thing? Well, no, and it it was uh, not a traditional. They did like a, a barbed wire match, and they had exploding baseball bats. So they didn't actually have the explosives on on the barbed wire 
ropes, you know, around the ring, and that's because of fire marshal concerns. Yeah, and yeah. and just reality concerns because <laughs> the. I watched it, and it was in this huge baseball stadium. I think it was Kawasaki Stadium, where the hell we were, and Terry Funk was on the show, and uh, I forget who Anita worked with. I want to say he worked with Mike Awesome and uh, uh, Corporal Kirshner with the Chainsaw gimmick. Right. Chainsaw Charlie. (laughs) And Terry Funk told me, he says, watch this match, Pritchard. It's the damnedest thing you'll ever see. I don't get it. (laughs) <laughs> and I watched the match, and they they have a countdown in the arena. Right. And it starts, there's a horn, it starts going off. And everybody in the ring takes cover. And then all this pyro blows up around the ring. And you can't see a thing. It's just smoke and dust for probably three, four minutes <laughs> that you can't see. I mean, you, nothing, right. There's nothing to see. <laughs> and everybody's like, Oh, and, and, and you hear the, the people like, Oh my God. Oh, and just, and, and that's what it is. It's, it's a, Oh, <laughs> then the, the smoke starts to clear. Anita gets up, pile drives somebody and the match is over. <laughs> and I'm watching this with those with Victor Quinones in the back, and everybody's telling me how spectacular it is. This is so basically in the middle of the match, a shitload of pyro blows up. The guys fall down. Actually, before it blows up, and then they do a finish, and that's it. He says, "Well, yeah, but it's a." It's a bomb match. They, they got to work to that. But they didn't work to anything. <laughs> they just were working, and then a siren goes off, and then they all got down and took cover, and then when the smoke cleared, and there's 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 people. There. The audience is the same distance from the explosions <laughs> as the calendar. So, so any person with a logical mind would be like, well, I was unharmed, so those guys must have right. been unharmed. But no, they were selling. <laughs> so I, it's whenever I hear the things about Japan and how great and innovative and, and amazing that this is, I, I go back to that just thinking how illogical and how I, I don't know how people could buy it and continue to go back and buy it based on what I had seen. So may, maybe there's something somewhere that was much grander than that. Um, and Lord knows if it was in the Tokyo Dome, it would have gotten 8,000 stars. <laughs> but I just, I, I didn't get it. And Funk, and Funk had it told me beforehand, Terry was like, I don't get it. <laughs> but it's a goddamn spectacle. It was a spectacle. Yeah. I give them that. It was a spectacle. However, beyond the spectacle of it, um, they lost me. Just totally lost me because everybody in the arena is is sitting, like I said, just as close, and they're fine. 
and they're going, oh, oh, and, and everything's crazy, and then nothing really happens. But the, I guess, you know, Hogan dropped a leg for years, and people went nuts. That's true. That's true. It's all in the it, it's all in the cell in the presentation at the end of the day. Well, was there uh, there one of the longstanding rumors was that the original plan for I think it was WrestleMania 14 when you guys did the the dumpster match and Chainsaw Charlie was there that the original plan for that was to do a barbed wire match. Is that true? We talked about barbed wire matches, but Vince didn't want to have all that blood and gore on uh, WrestleMania. No, so it, it'd be on. That's the thing. When people say, oh, it was discussed, they were going to do this. Just because an idea is brought up and talked about at some point doesn't mean that he was seriously considering doing it at any time other than, yes, I listened to the idea. No, I will never do that. <laughs> you know? And so, how so do you, that, that's why I always chuckle. How does that start getting reported then? Is it is it somebody who wants it done or, or, or somebody who just – is in a meeting or overhears something that wants to seem like they have an inside track, decides to go and make a phone call and say, oh, this is what they're talking about today. Yes. And it's like... Exactly it, what happens. Or the talent will say, you know, I told them to do this, and, and Vince was going to do it till somebody squashed it. Right, as opposed to it was just another item in a conversation. Right. And, you know, I always... Conrad always gets upset with me on, on the podcast sometimes because I was going, no, that wasn't. Uh, beyond a what-if scenario, what if we did this? What if we did that? And we tried to discuss, for every finish, for the most part, you would always discuss both sides of it. Mm -hmm. So what if Brock Lesnar went over? Right. Okay. What if Undertaker went over? Do we break the streak? Do we not break the streak? Those discussions happen every single year you always have to look at both sides of of the equation you always have to say well cool i know this is where we wanted to go but what if we went that way would that work would that be cool and i guess that's what happens too when when you have a company like this i mean that's what makes wwe so unique is that at the end of the day it's one guy making the call so you can decide whenever you want to go like, you know what? You're right. That's what we're going to do. Ah, uh, you know what? In hindsight, the thing we were going to do doesn't work. Let's do this instead. And that's what you do. Who the hell thought of that? <laughs> I hate it. Ten minutes later, I love it. <laughs> well, that's Patterson all could bump into him in the hall and say, hey, what if we did it this way, Vince? Wouldn't that be great? You're right. <laughs> and the the... What you have laid out for the next two years is just flush down the toilet because <laughs> Pat said, wouldn't it be great if we did this tonight? I'd have paid this. <laughs> and, and you do it. I, I'll tell you. I mean, I, you know, I, and I, I was a big deathmatch fan when I was in high school and had all the Japanese tapes and everything. And I'll still, you know, I'll still look at them here and there. It's a little bit more difficult to watch. I don't know if it's because I'm older or because – now, you know, it's we're we're a, a decade or so or maybe a little more removed and we've seen the long-term effects that the these things have on people, but doing a barbed wire match at any WrestleMania in hindsight would have just aged terribly. To look back at any I mean just imagine looking back at a WrestleMania 
in 2017 and finding a legit bloody barbed wire match it just would have would have really aged poorly yeah thank yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I could just I, I could see that one uh with the new you know cfo or c ceo coming in and and trying to sell that to advertisers for the network and look and on this show we have what <laughs> um they they wrestled in bar why and though those are those are questions that they ask now though the wrestling now they bar- why there, yes they're <laughs> questions where they they get to the point and they say okay guys let's think about this in 10 years now we may not be here but in 10 years how is this going to play hmm and you you have to look at that nowadays you you really and truly do because uh in 10 years the audience, you're going to have a whole brand new audience that may not understand what the hell you were trying to go for at that point in time. So you want it to be able to translate across all those lines so that in 10 years that everybody can, that they can still understand it. And also, I mean, you look at things like the network, retro t-shirts, retro action figures, retro that like, a huge portion of WWE's business has become nostalgia. And I think that happens when you have a brand that is suddenly, you know, 30 plus years old and that the people who grew up with it are now having kids. And some of the people's kids who grew up with it are now having kids. Like the nostalgia becomes a real part of it. And it's not stuff that you can just do today and then erase because contextually now it makes sense. And, and, you know, and and you run into that stuff all the time. I think that's why you end up getting questions about, you know, why would you do something so stupid as Undertaker versus Undertaker? Because you go, well, in 1994, a bunch of kids probably thought it was cool, right? Right. Exactly. And they did. Yeah. So for me, that was that was something. And it was a great story. And I don't care what anybody says. It was a great story at the time. And when you are the the other part that i find funny is someone who has never written who has never had to sit there with a blank piece of paper and actually have their ideas come to fruition and be challenged and be tested to either draw or not draw so when when they criticize, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that, they really have no idea. They have no track record to, to base that on. And they come back, and people can be very critical of you know what we did then and how we did it and why we did it and so on and so forth. But yet they have never had the opportunity to actually – have an original idea and have that idea challenged and see if that idea would actually get people to gather their family, load up the car, go to an arena, buy a ticket, and support that event. Right. Now, if they can do that, and then they, and then if they can make a living doing that, then you can talk and you can criticize my stuff. Until then... I appreciate it. Uh, I'm happy that you came out. 
uh, really and truly, because uh, without the fans, we have nothing. But until you've done that and you really understand, uh, enjoy my stuff, knock it if you want to, but don't tell me how to do it. When did uh, when did triple threats and fatal four ways and matches like that become something that was like on the docket, something that was a real possibility? Because forever there were none. And then very quickly became something you did all the time. Like, you know, for instance, I think WrestleMania 10, where you had this sort of series of matches that ended up working beautifully, far better than any triple threat match would have. In 2017, if you had a scenario where Bret Hart and Lex Luger both went over at the same time, you know, logic would tell you, okay, we'll do a triple threat. When did did that happen? become something that like okay not only is this something that we do but obviously this would be a scenario for a triple threat fatal four-way whatever you want to call it i think as the business just began to evolve there were more and more there were more and more people the first one that i ever remember was at ecw the first one i'd ever seen and uh razor ramon had approached vince about doing a triple threat match uh we obviously it was i think they called it a uh, a three-way match or whatever the hell we didn't we came up with the name triple threat at a later date but we talked about it we talked about how we could do it because none of us really understood what the rules were or or i don't know if there really were any rules in the ecw version um and we just talked about a way to do it and how it would make sense. And I remember all of us going, the first one was in Philadelphia and we, we got there and, uh, Jake was with us at the time, but we all went to Philadelphia, took a limo to Philadelphia to try and work this damn thing out and see if we could make sense of it. Jake had an awful lot to do with the, the very first triple threat that we had. No, it was in Philadelphia um, it was also during the time people said, oh, we went there for a special meeting with the click because they were so rambunctious. Um, we went there to work out the ins and outs of, uh, <laughs> of the first triple threat and everything else blew up while we were there. But it, it was the original intent was we were already on our way there and we were just trying to see how this this whole thing was going to work out. Well, first, who was who was in the original triple threat? I think it was uh, Sean, Brett, and Razor. And what what was the what was the click thing that that broke out while you were in Philly? Uh, them rearing their wonderful uh, heads and just being difficult to deal with. So everybody thought that we were there to to have a meeting with the click about their attitude and, and how they've been conducting themselves lately. But again, that was rumor and innuendo. That right. was all about people just stirring things up and if there's a little bit of truth to it then that makes it obviously all that much grander to 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 my best recollection and knowledge i think that uh the only difference in rules that i can think of is that ecw would have three-way dances and i think in ecw they were always elimination style and in wwe it was a triple threat and it was the first fall wins the match which to me, yeah, and I, we did, we did not do the elimination. That's right. Yeah, and and I think as much as you know, I was a huge ECW fan, but 
I think that the historically the the non-elimination style, the first fall wins the match, has been the one that you've been able to do more with, just because that's how you can change a title without pinning a champion. That's how you know this one screws over this one. This one lets me pin him so that he can do that. Like there's there's all kinds of different strategies and things to play with when you're not doing the elimination style. And, and not that either one is, is better than the other, but I do agree that what we eventually came up with, I do think it worked a lot better for that reason, that a champion could have lost his championship without ever being beat. I mean, that's why... And that was a loophole that we liked. Yeah, that's why people are, are excited about SummerSlam this year. You know, that's why the debate is even happening. Is Brock going to lose the title? Because everybody knows that Fatal 4-Way rules, well, have they thought of something creative so that Brock can lose the title without getting beat. And it's like, even though that's sort of a, a very uh, inside baseball way of looking at a match, it does increase this interest where even if you don't want to play along with those storyline rules, if you want to be, you know, sort of smarter than everybody else, it's still, okay, well now I think he's going to lose because technically he doesn't have to get beat and they wouldn't want him to get beat. But now, and, and it starts that dialogue. Sure, and and people all and then people all become armchair bookers, and they all try to figure it out. And I told you so. <laughs> right. But any any time that you can create a scenario that is difficult to pick them, that's the best scenario. Yeah. When the when the audience can't figure out for sure what are they going to do, that's the scenario you want every single time. You want people guessing. You want people picking them, and you want people to be able to say, "I knew it was going to be that," um, but not really be sure. Well, I'll tell you what I'm sure of. That's happening on Sunday. That's SummerSlam. But uh, to my oh, knowledge, okay, let's talk about the main event that's happening on Sunday, well, SummerSlam weekend. That's what I was going to ask you about. That, that, that uh, that's not the only live show going on in New York throughout Sunday. No, is the, it? the the, the big one is at the Gramercy Theater at 12.30 on Sunday. Something to wrestle with live and, as, as old-timers say, in living color. We're going to be at the Gramercy. We still have tickets available. And all you got to do to get tickets is go to boxofgimmicks.com. How simple is that? Go to boxofgimmicks.com for tickets to the Gramercy on Sunday. We've got some great Surprise guest showing up. And I hear about this guy. You may know him. I don't know who the hell he is. He sounds like he's got a big mouth. Um, but if he shows up, I may just shut it for him. Because people are always talking about that I do impressions. I don't do impressions. I do caricatures. And there's this guy named Dan Soder. Right. Um, you know him? I, I, I'm very. I'm friends with him. Yeah, I know him very, very well. Yeah, I don't like him. Um, that's, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah. If he, sh- you know, he's talking about how his his impressions are better than this, that, and the other thing. And if he is in New York, I, I'm throwing it out right now. I, I invite him to come down. Um, t- like I said, Dan, tickets are still available. You can get them at boxofgimmicks.com for the Gramercy right before something. You can go to my show, and then you can still, if you want to, go to SummerSlam that evening. Have a have a wonderful evening. Um, 
but I, I would love to have him show up just so I can finally put him in his place. Well, I've heard because we've 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 talked about it, Dan and I, and and by the time this airs, I will have had my uh, live event uh, at the Highline, which it'll be the night before this airs that Dan Soder is with me at, and I'm sure we will have talked about this whole thing at, at my live show because he's. I kind of feel like, and a lot of people feel like, he does the best wrestling impressions, specifically his macho and his Andre. I mean, he's known for his macho and his Andre. That's because you've never heard mine. Well, I've heard, I mean, I listen to the podcast. I've heard macho and Andre before. Well, then how can you possibly say that? Well, I just think that, like, there's, there's something about him i don't know i used to like you know what sam i used to like you too look i'm 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 open to seeing how this goes okay i i think that it is a discussion that needs to be had in public i think it's something that has to go down at the gramercy on sunday in front of a live audience because there's there's too much hearsay there's too much rumor and innuendo there's there i don't deal i don't deal in that stuff man i know you don't that's not your thing which is why you deal in what's real and what's true and what's public, and uh, that's why this all has to go down on Sunday before SummerSlam at 12.30 p.m. at the Gramercy, uh, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard live. Uh, and, and again, like you said, I mean, you'll get out in plenty of time to get to the Barclays. I love the Gramercy. It's a great venue. Um, and I know the location, and I'm telling you, you know, I think SummerSlam – Starts at like seven. The pre-show starts at five. You'll be able to get to the arena in plenty of time for everything, and get this pre-show. And and hopefully, here's what I'm hoping: I'll be at the Barclays Center for SummerSlam, and I'll probably have to get there early, so I don't think I'll be able to make it out. But I would love to see some fans in the building at the Barclays Center on Sunday, and I want to get the scoop. I would like some fans that go to your show at the Gramercy that day to come up to me that afternoon when they see me at the Barclays and they can let me know who won in this battle of impressions because it's important. It is important, and it's I can already tell you who's going to win. Well, I know. If. Who, yeah. If this guy shows up. I would hope that he I will encourage Dan Soder to show up. You, I, I would. I would hope that he would. I, I would hope so too, but you, you know how these Hollywood types are. No, I know, and he is—he has changed a little bit since he got billions. I mean, he has his head's gotten even bigger, if you can believe it. Yeah, you know you, you, these guys that walk around and they like, oh, I'm big show, I'm on billions on Showtime. Oh, Bruce Pritchard talks about me, and I'm a big fan of the show. I was a fan of the show until I realized who this guy was. And you can't watch it anymore. No, I can't. Wow. Of course. Yeah, I, I I can't. Well, of course, the season is is on hiatus right now. <laughs> that's that's convenient, but still, you can't watch it anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah, and it's all his fault. Right, you might have watched the season a second time over. Not going to do it now. Well, I kind of did on on my trip overseas when I did my UK tour. <laughs> well, resources are so limited. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. let's go with that. Yeah. Uh, just... <laughs> but, but by God, if he shows up, we're just, we're just going to bitch slap him. Well, I, I, I can't wait, and Conrad will be there, of course, right? Without a doubt. Excellent. Without a doubt, Conrad will be there, and we're, we're there on August 19th. But that's already sold out, so the only chance to see us is 
go to boxofgimmicks.com. And you know what? Even for people, if you want to still see us on Saturday night, there's a few uh, slots available. We're doing a dirty dozen where if you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash something to wrestle, uh, where 12 people get to come hang out with Conrad and I, have a few drinks, sign a few autographs, take some pictures. But it's a private, intimate gathering where we're just going to be telling stories and, and hanging out with a few friends and have a good time. Somewhere in New York City on Saturday night, baby, live and in living color. So uh, you can check that out at our Facebook and check me out on uh, Twitter at Bruce Pritchard and the show at Pritchard Show and my co-host, my good, dear, close personal friend, Conrad Thompson at Hey, Hey, It's Conrad. Uh, this is Sam Roberts and you're listening. Oh, well, sorry, I just take <laughs> you're, you're just this taking wrong. over. Yeah. Well, look, Bruce, it's always a pleasure. You know, I will uh, regardless, regardless of, of if Soder shows up and how this impression contest goes. You will always have. I all- heard his pe- his people t- told me uh-huh. his people actually had the gall to ask for tickets. Oh my god! Can you believe that? He's got people. That's ridiculous. He's got people. Of course he does. Well, he's a big shot now. He is. It's ridiculous. He is. So you know what? My God. He, so apparently he's going to be there, and I just I just hope that he has the testicular fortitude to. To, to try one of his little impressions. See, he does impressions. I do characters. Big difference. And so, therefore, I win. Just right <laughs> off the bat. Already yeah. won. Perfect. Perfect. Well, see the, see, see the winning happen at the Gramercy Theater on Sunday. And Bruce Pritchard, thank you so much for hanging out once again. Thank you. Always a pleasure, man. Here is Sam Roberts. It's always fascinating talking to Bruce Pritchard. And there's no mystery in my mind why his podcast is so successful. There's so few people that have been a part of as much as he's been a part of for as long as he's been a part of things and can still tell a tale the way he can, can still weave a story together the way he can. It's not at all, you know, I don't think if, if it wasn't going on, I don't think you would expect it. But when you when you look at the factors, it's not it's not a huge surprise. So go check out his show. He was talking about Dan Soder at the end of that. Well, Dan Soder was at my uh, Highline Ballroom show this week. Uh, and I I don't want to get into a pissing match with Bruce Pritchard. That's the last thing I want to do. I love Bruce Pritchard. And I don't know if you guys know this, but I am a Conrad guy. Conrad is my homie. That said, I don't know that you're going to get a better bit out of Dan Soder than we got out of him at the Highline Ballroom. I'm talking about Andre the Giant, Jake the Snake Roberts, Macho Man. Everybody was involved. I don't think that you're going to get a better bit out of Dan Soder. So here's what I'm interested in doing. You guys that are going to uh, the Gramercy to see Bruce Pritchard's podcast where Dan Soder's going to be, you listen. Tomorrow, when I drop the SummerSlam uh, uh, hype show live from the from the uh, uh, Highline Ballroom, you tell me. You listen to that, and you tell me if that bit is beatable, okay? So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to skip the state of wrestling this week only because, and, and there's a lot to talk about, okay? The the, the go-home show for Raw, the go-home show for SmackDown, uh, super, super, super newsworthy. Um, and, uh, you know, from Baron Corbin cashing in the briefcase unsuccessfully uh, to every segment on Raw having uh, SummerSlam effects, you know, uh, it just a, a ton of stuff. 
And the reason that I'm skipping the state of wrestling is because I did it at the uh, live show. I did a state of wrestling segment. And that live show, the audio of it is going to be out tomorrow. You're getting a bonus podcast this week. So don't worry about uh, you know getting less because you're getting a lot, a lot more. Uh, you're just going to have to wait one day. You got the whole Bruce Pritchard interview today. Tomorrow, you're going to get a great segment with Mark Henry, Skylar Aston, Dan Soder with Classic Bits. When I say Classic Bits, wait till you hear it. And State of Wrestling with Katie Linendahl. All live from the Highline Ballroom. It was a great, great time. Uh, I also had the guys from Busted Open on Sirius XM at the Highline Ballroom show. Just a loaded, loaded show. I love doing live shows, and I love putting on something that I know is entertaining. Because I, I do shows that I would want to see. Um, so all that said, we have a lot to look forward to this week already for SummerSlam. Um, and and a lot of interviews that I'm getting done that we're going to hear on the podcast as the weeks go on. All right? So look forward to that live Highline Ballroom show coming out tomorrow, Friday, as we get ready for SummerSlam from the Barclays Center. I'll see you on the kickoff show for SummerSlam. I'll see you on the pre-show for NXT. I'll see you at SummerSlam 3 from Caroline's. I mean, we, we're, we're going to end up talking about, you know, 2K. I'll give you, I'll tell you this. 2K had a roster reveal. 2K18. The roster was revealed. Mark Henry, not the whole roster, but a portion of it. Mark Henry was listed as a legend that would be available to play in the game. I had never heard that Mark Henry had officially retired. We talked about that at the Highline Ballroom. Get the podcast tomorrow. I'll see you then. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.